Section 60 of Volume 1E of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the invasion of Julius Caesar to the revolution of 1688 by David Hume volume 1 e section 60 chapter 62 part 1 chapter 62 the commonwealth all the arts of cromwell's policy had been so often practiced that they began to lose their effect and his power instead of being confirmed by time and success seemed every day to become more uncertain and precarious his friends the most closely connected with him and his counsellors the most trusted were entering into cabals against his authority and with all his penetration into the characters of men he could not find any ministers on whom he could rely men of probity and honour he knew would not submit to be the instruments of a usurpation violent and illegal those who were free from the restraint of principle might betray from interest that cause in which from no better motives they had enlisted themselves even those on whom he conferred any favour never deemed the recompense an equivalent for the sacrifices which they made to obtain it whoever was refused any demand justified his anger by the specious colours of conscience and of duty such difficulties surrounded the protector that his dying at so critical a time is esteemed by many the most fortunate circumstance that ever attended him and it was thought that all his courage and dexterity could not much longer have extended his usurped administration but when that potent hand was removed which conducted the government every one expected a sudden dissolution of the unwieldy and ill-jointed fabric richard a young man of no experience educated in the country accustomed to a retired life unacquainted with the officers and unknown to them recommended by no military exploits endeared by no familiarities could not long it was thought maintain that authority which his father had acquired by so many valorous achievements and such signal successes and when it was observed that he possessed only the virtues of private life which in his situation were so many vices that indolence incapacity irresolution attended his facility and good-nature the various hopes of men were excited by the expectation of some great event or revolution for some time however the public was disappointed in this opinion the council recognized the succession of richard fleetwood in whose favour it was supposed cromwell had formerly made a will renounced all claim or pretension to the protectorship henry richard's brother who governed ireland with popularity ensured him the obedience of that kingdom monk whose authority was well established in scotland being much attached to the family of cromwell immediately proclaimed the new protector 
the army everywhere the fleet acknowledged his title above ninety addresses from the counties and most considerable corporations congratulated him on his ascension in all the terms of dutiful allegiance foreign ministers were forward in paying him the usual compliments and richard whose moderate unambitious character never would have led him to contend for empire was tempted to accept so rich an inheritance which seemed to be tendered to him by the consent of all mankind it was found necessary to call a parliament in order to furnish supplies both for the ordinary administration and for fulfilling those engagements with foreign princes particularly sweden into which the late protector had entered in hopes of obtaining greater influence in elections the ancient right was restored to all the small boroughs and the counties were allowed no more than their usual members sixteen fifty nine the house of peers or the other house consisted of the same persons that had been appointed by oliver all the commons at first signed without hesitation an engagement not to alter the present government they next proceeded to examine the humble petition and advice and after great opposition and many vehement debates it was at length with much difficulty carried by the court party to confirm it an acknowledgment too of the authority of the other house was extorted from them though it was resolved not to treat this house of peers with any greater respect than they should return to the commons a declaration was also made that the establishment of the other house should nowise prejudice the right of such of the ancient peers as had from the beginning of the war adhered to the parliament but in all these proceedings the opposition among the commons was so considerable and the debates were so much prolonged that all business was retarded and great alarm given to the partisans of the young protector but there was another quarter from which greater dangers were justly apprehended the most considerable officers of the army and even fleetwood brother-in-law to the protector were entering into cabals against him no character in human society is more dangerous than that of the fanatic because if attended with weak judgment he is exposed to the suggestions of others if supported by more discernment he is entirely governed by his own illusions which sanctify his most selfish views and passions fleetwood was of the former species and as he was extremely addicted to a republic and even to the fifth monarchy or dominion of the saints it was easy for those who had insinuated themselves into his confidence to instil disgusts against the dignity of protector the whole republican party in the army which was still considerable fitz mason moss farley united themselves to that general the officers too of the same party whom cromwell had discarded overton ludlow rich oakey allured began to appear and to recover that authority which had been only for a time suspended a party likewise who found themselves eclipsed in richard's favour sydenham kelsey barry haynes joined the cabal of the others 
even desborough the protector's uncle lent his authority to that faction but above all the intrigues of lambert who was now roused from his retreat inflamed all those dangerous humours and threatened the nation with some great convulsion the discontented officers established their meetings in fleetwood's apartments and because he dwelt in wallingford house the party received a denomination from that place richard who possessed neither resolution nor penetration was prevailed on to give an unguarded consent for calling a general council of officers who might make him proposals as they pretended for the good of the army no sooner were they assembled than they voted a remonstrance they there lamented that the good old cause as they termed it that is the cause for which they had engaged against the late king was entirely neglected and they proposed as a remedy that the whole military power should be entrusted to some person in whom they might all confide the city militia influenced by two aldermen tichburn and ireton expressed the same resolution of adhering to the good old cause the protector was justly alarmed at those movements among the officers the persons in whom he chiefly confided were all of them excepting brogill men of civil characters and professions fien thurlow whitlock wolseley who could only assist him with their advice and opinion he possessed none of those arts which were proper to gain an enthusiastic army murmurs being thrown out against some promotions which he had made would you have me said he prefer none but the godly here is dick ingoldsby continued he who can neither pray nor preach yet will i trust him before ye all this imprudence gave great offence to the pretended saints the other qualities of the protector were correspondent to these sentiments he was of a gentle humane and a generous disposition some of his party offering to put an end to those intrigues by the death of lambert he declared that he would not purchase power or dominion by such sanguinary measures the parliament was no less alarmed at the military cabals they voted that there should be no meeting or general council of officers except with the protector's consent or by his orders this vote brought affairs immediately to a rupture the officers hastened to richard and demanded of him the dissolution of the parliament desborough a man of a clownish and brutal nature threatened him if he should refuse compliance the protector wanted the resolution to deny and possessed little ability to resist the parliament was dissolved and by the same act the protector was by every one considered as effectually dethroned soon after he signed his demission in form henry the deputy of ireland was endowed with the same moderate disposition as richard but as he possessed more vigour and capacity it was apprehended that he might make resistance his popularity in ireland was great and even his personal authority notwithstanding his youth was considerable had his ambition been very eager he had no doubt been able to create disturbance but being threatened by sir hardress waller 
Colonel John Jones, and other officers, he very quietly resigned his command, and retired to England. He had once entertained thoughts, which he had not resolution to execute, of proclaiming the king in Dublin. Thus fell, suddenly and from an enormous height, but, by a rare fortune, without any hurt or injury, the family of the Cromwells. Richard continued to possess an estate, which was moderate, and burdened, too, with a large debt, which he had contracted for the interment of his father. After the restoration, though he remained unmolested, he thought proper to travel for some years, and, at Pazenus, in Languedoc, he was introduced under a borrowed name to the Prince of Conti. That prince, talking of English affairs, broke out into admiration of Cromwell's courage and capacity. But, as for that poor, pitiful fellow Richard, said he, what has become of him? How could he be such a blockhead as to reap no greater benefit from all his father's crimes and successes? Richard extended his peaceful and quiet life to an extreme old age, and died not till the latter end of Queen Anne's reign. His social virtues, more valuable than the greatest capacity, met with a recompense more precious than noisy fame, and more suitable, contentment and tranquillity. The Council of Officers, now possessed of supreme authority, deliberated what form of government they should establish. Many of them seemed inclined to exercise the power of the sword in the most open manner, but as it was apprehended, that the people would with great difficulty be induced to pay taxes levied by arbitrary will and pleasure, it was agreed to preserve the shadow of civil administration, and to revive the long parliament, which had been expelled by Cromwell. That assembly could not be dissolved, it was asserted, but by their own consent. And violence had interrupted, but was not able to destroy, their right to government. The officers also expected, that as these members had sufficiently felt their own weakness, they would be contented to act in subordination to the military commanders, and would thenceforth allow all the authority to remain where the power was so visibly vested. The officers applied to Lenthal, the speaker, and proposed to him, that the Parliament should resume their seats. Lenthal was of a low, timid spirit, and, being uncertain what issue might attend these measures, was desirous of evading the proposal. He replied, that he could by no means comply with the desires of the officers, being engaged in a business of far greater importance to himself, which he could not omit on any account, because it concerned the salvation of his own soul. The officers pressed him to tell what it might be. He was preparing, he said, to participate of the Lord's Supper, which he resolved to take next Sabbath. They insisted, that mercy was preferable to sacrifice, and that he could not better prepare himself for that great duty, than by contributing so the public service. All their remonstrances had no effect. However, on the appointed day, the speaker, being informed that a quorum of the house was likely to meet, thought proper, 
notwithstanding the salvation of his soul as ludlow observes to join them and the house immediately proceeded upon business the secluded members attempted but in vain to resume their seats among them the numbers of this parliament were small little exceeding seventy members the authority in the nation ever since they had been purged by the army was extremely diminished and after their expulsion had been totally annihilated but being all of them men of violent ambition some of them men of experience and capacity they were resolved since they enjoyed the title of the supreme authority and observed that some appearance of a parliament was requisite for the purposes of the army not to act a subordinate part to those who acknowledged themselves their servants they chose a council in which they took care that the officers of wallingford house should not be the majority they appointed fleetwood lieutenant-general but inserted in his commission that it should only continue during the pleasure of the house they chose seven persons who should nominate to such commands as became vacant and they voted that all commissions should be received from the speaker and be signed by him in the name of the house these precautions the tendency of which was visible gave great disgust to the general officers and their discontent would immediately have broken out into some resolution fatal to the parliament had it not been checked by the apprehensions of danger from the common enemy the bulk of the nation consisted of royalists and presbyterians and to both these parties the dominion of the pretended parliament had ever been to the last degree odious when that assembly was expelled by cromwell contempt had succeeded to hatred and no reserve had been used in expressing the utmost derision against the impotent ambition of these usurpers seeing them reinstated in authority all orders of men felt the highest indignation together with apprehensions lest such tyrannical rulers should exert their power by taking vengeance upon their enemies who had so openly insulted them a secret reconciliation therefore was made between the rival parties and it was agreed that burying former enmities in oblivion all efforts should be used for the overthrow of the rump so they called the parliament in allusion to that part of the animal body the presbyterians sensible from experience that their passion for liberty however laudable had carried them into unwarrantable excesses were willing to lay aside ancient jealousies and at all hazards to restore the royal family the nobility the gentry bent their passionate endeavours to the same enterprise by which alone they could be redeemed from slavery and no man was so remote from party so indifferent to public good as not to feel the most ardent wishes for the dissolution of that tyranny which whether the civil or the military part of it were considered appeared equally oppressive and ruinous to the nation mordaunt who had so narrowly escaped on his trial before the high court of justice seemed rather animated than daunted with past danger and having by his resolute behaviour obtained the highest confidence of the royal party he was now become the centre of all their conspiracies in many counties 
a resolution was taken to rise in arms lord willoughby of parham and sir horatio townsend undertook to secure lynn general massey engaged to seize gloucester lord newport littleton and other gentlemen conspired to take possession of shrewsbury sir george booth of chester sir thomas middleton of north wales arundel pollar granville trelawney of plymouth and exeter a day was appointed for the execution of all these enterprises and the king attended by the duke of york had secretly arrived at calais with a resolution of putting himself at the head of his loyal subjects the french court had promised to supply him with a small body of forces in order to countenance the insurrections of the english this combination was disconcerted by the infidelity of sir richard willis that traitor continued with the parliament the same correspondence which he had begun with cromwell he had engaged to reveal all conspiracies so far as to destroy their effect but reserved to himself if he pleased the power of concealing the conspirators he took care never to name any of the old genuine cavaliers who had zealously adhered and were resolved still to adhere to the royal cause in every fortune these men he esteemed these he even loved he betrayed only the new converts among the presbyterians or such lukewarm royalists as discouraged with their disappointments were resolved to expose themselves to no more hazards a lively proof how impossible it is even for the most corrupted minds to divest themselves of all regard to morality and social duty many of the conspirators in the different counties were thrown into prison others astonished at such symptoms of secret treachery left their houses or remained quiet the most tempestuous weather prevailed during the whole time appointed for the rendezvous insomuch that some found it impossible to join their friends and others were dismayed with fear and superstition at an incident so unusual during the summer season of all the projects the only one which took effect was that of sir george booth for the seizing of chester the earl of derby lord herbert of cherbury mr lee colonel morgan entered into this enterprise sir william middleton joined booth with some troops from north wales and the malcontents were powerful enough to subdue all in that neighbourhood who ventured to oppose them in their declaration they made no mention of the king they only demanded a free and full parliament the parliament was justly alarmed how combustible the materials they well knew and the fire was now fallen among them booth was of a family eminently presbyterian and his conjunction with the royalists they regarded as a dangerous symptom they had many officers whose fidelity they could more depend on than that of lambert but there was no one in whose vigilance and capacity they reposed such confidence they commissioned him to suppress the rebels he made incredible haste booth imprudently ventured himself out of the walls of chester and exposed in the open field his raw troops against these hardy veterans 
he was soon routed and taken prisoner his whole army was dispersed and the parliament had no further occupation than to fill all the jails with their open or secret enemies designs were even entertained of transporting the loyal families to barbados jamaica and the other colonies lest they should propagate in england children of the same malignant affections with themselves this success hastened the ruin of the parliament lambert at the head of a body of troops was no less dangerous to them than booth a thousand pounds which they sent him to buy a jewel were employed by him in liberalities to his officers at his instigation they drew up a petition and transmitted it to fleetwood a weak man and an honest if sincerity in folly deserve that honourable name the import of this petition was that fleetwood should be made commander-in-chief lambert major-general desborough lieutenant-general of the horse monk major-general of the foot to which a demand was added that no officer should be dismissed from his command but by a court-martial the parliament alarmed at the danger immediately cashiered lambert desborough barry clark barrow kelsey cobbett sir arthur hazelrig proposed the impeachment of lambert for high treason fleetwood's commission was vacated and the command of the army was vested in seven persons of whom that general was one the parliament voted that they would have no more general officers and they declared it high treason to levy any money without consent of parliament but these votes were feeble weapons in opposition to the swords of the soldiery lambert drew some troops together in order to decide the controversy oakey who was leading his regiment to the assistance of the parliament was deserted by them morley and moss brought their regiments into palace yard resolute to oppose the violence of lambert but that artful general knew an easy way of disappointing them he placed his soldiers in the streets which led to westminster hall when the speaker came in his coach he ordered the horses to be turned and very civilly conducted him home the other members were in like manner intercepted and the two regiments in palace yard observing that they were exposed to derision peaceably retired to their quarters a little before this bold enterprise a solemn fast had been kept by the army and it is remarked that this ceremony was the usual prelude to every signal violence which they committed end of section sixty chapter sixty two part one